On one occasion, expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It is really good to be here worshiping with you. I, I just feel God's presence when, um, when we worship together as a, as a family of God. And, and it blesses me to see new faces um, and some old faces that have returned. Um, I saw Kathy come in. Oh, there she is. Welcome, Jason. I'm happy to see you here on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, Thank you for coming, Jason and Kathy. Okay, so last week, we officially started our six-week campaign called, what is it called? Love Where You Live. And really, there has been a flurry of activities happening on both campuses where community groups are really doing their best to love where they live. Now, I'm going to be sharing some more of, uh, of these events that have happened these last couple of weeks, but first, I'd like to get right into our scripture. Ariana read for us this morning um, from Luke 10, verses 10, uh, 25 to 37, And it is a parable, it's a story that I have heard, and I'm sure many of you have heard over and over again, countless of times. And even those people that are unfamiliar with the Bible, they have heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And we use it in our everyday language, right? We say, Lorna is such a Good Samaritan, meaning she bends over backwards to help other people, so before we get into the parable itself, let's, let's try to look into scripture and see why Jesus told this story in the first place. So someone asked the question. And the text says that an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Another translation says he was an expert in religious law. And what did this mean? The religious law was the Jewish written law called the Torah, right? So the Torah is, is the first five books in the Hebrew Bible, which Moses received from the Lord on top of Mount Sinai. And I say this because I want to make a point. This man was an expert in scripture. He knew God's word. 
And in verse 25, we find this expert asking Jesus a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think of it a little bit as a kind of a revealing question because he doesn't ask, Teacher, what can I do in my life to really gain favor of the Lord or to honor Him or to love Him? How do I get closer to the Lord? How do I grow my faith? No, this man, he zeroes in on the gift, right? He neglects the acknowledge, or acknowledges, he does not acknowledge the giver. He zeroes in on the gift. And it's not the relationship that he seeks with the Lord. It's the reward. And before we judge him too harshly, I mean, don't we do this a little, right? We pray for financial security. We pray for health. We pray for happiness, a good marriage, healthy children, protection. But how many Christians in the world today pray, God, teach me so that I may die and you may live in me? How many times do we make this our personal prayer? Grow my faith, Lord, and help me to love you better. So this expert of the law, this lawyer, he asks this question. And Jesus answers the question in a manner that he usually answers questions. He answers it with a question, right? He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer, he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The right answer, but perhaps not the right heart. And how do we know this? Because then the expert asks something revealing once again. He asks, well, who is my neighbor? And we can see how he conveniently kind of skips over loving the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And he kind of goes directly to the second part, to love your neighbor, which I assume he thought he could accomplish with a little more ease. Tell me, in other words, what is the bare minimum that I can do so that I can just make it into those pearly gates? Who is my neighbor? He's thinking, loving God with my whole being, that sounds a little difficult, but loving my neighbor, I can do that. You know, I love my neighbors. You know, we have dinner sometimes, barbecue in the backyard. You know, they let my kids kind of swim in, in their pool. We go play a round of golf sometimes. You know, I love my neighbors. Or how about the people at my synagogue, at my church? Are they my neighbors? They love me. At the synagogue, I, I help out as much as I can. I'm generous when the offering, to, offering plate goes by. I have the best recipe for matzo ball soup that I bring to the potluck. They love me there. They love me. And I, and I know I'm sounding a little cheeky, but this is what I imagine is going on in his head as he asks this question. It actually says in the passage, it says to justify himself, he asks the question, who is my neighbor? In another translation, it says, to make himself look good, he asks, who is my neighbor? 
do we find ourselves doing the same thing? When we think, love God, love people, when we're told to love others, do we justify ourselves by thinking, I'm good at loving my family and my friends and my neighbors. I love them oh so very well. But in Matthew 5, 46 to 47, it says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt taxpayers do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? So here's a sobering question. Besides going to church on Sundays, does your life look any different than it would if you didn't know Jesus? Would it look different? Or are we just doing the bare minimum? Are we just showing up to church? Are we just being nice to the neighbors that we like? You know, we do the best for our kids. We pay our taxes, right? Stay in my lane, keep my nose clean. So Jesus goes on to tell this parable. And here's the story. There's a Jew, and he's walking along, and he's accosted by these these robbers, right? They, they beat him. They strip off his clothes and, and just leave him there to die. And a priest, a priest, he sees him. But when he sees him, he crosses to the other side and leaves. A moment later, a Levite, he does the same thing. He sees the man, crosses to the other side, and leaves. So what is a Levite? A Levite is a member of the tribe of Jacob who was responsible for temple duties, right? So he does the same thing. He does the same thing as the priest. He sees his fellow Jew lying on the ground, bleeding and dying, but he too passes onto the other side. He stays in his lane, keeps his nose clean. So why didn't they stop? Were they late for something? Maybe they were scared that the robbers were still around and they had to just hurry, hurry by? I think the fact that Jesus chose a priest and a Levite for these roles, that we can kind of come to a likely conclusion. It is highly unlikely that they didn't stop because they didn't want to risk being ceremonially unclean. Right? Because there was a Jewish law, and it says, if anyone touches a dead corpse, they would be unclean for seven days, making them unfit for temple duty. So maybe, just maybe, they were thinking, I have a duty to the Lord that I need to uphold. I cannot touch, I cannot risk touching something that is ceremonially unclean. And so, if this is the case, their need to adhere to a religious system, it eclipsed their heart's ability to feel compassion. You know, these men, they had God-given duties. And it says in Leviticus 21, in the Torah, in the Law of Moses, it clearly states that a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of these people who die because he must not make himself unclean. So people back then, when they were listening to this parable, they understood, right? They sympathized with the priest and the Levite. It was understandable, maybe even expected, that they would just walk by, do 
to their religious responsibility. But I think Jesus is clearly making a point. Compassion, love, and helping those in need, this trumps religious systems and legalism. So what does this mean for us today? Do our religious commitments keep our hearts and minds closed off to the very people that Jesus is telling us to love or to have compassion for? So despite our religious convictions, our our traditions, our commitments, are we to love with the love of Jesus? Or do we stay in our lanes and keep our nose clean? Do we love the transvestite, the homeless guy with the sign, the illegal immigrant, the abortionist? Do we love despite whatever beliefs or traditions that might or might not be the word of God? Compassion trumps legalism. The story gets better. So along the way, you know, there, there comes a Samaritan. So let me give you a little background. I'm not going to go totally into the history, but the Samaritans were deeply despised and hated by the Jews. Right? They were despised by the Jews. There's this long-standing relationship of mutual hate and discrimination, and it stemmed way back in the Old Testament, right? during the days of the patriarchs. Samaritans were a defiled people group, to the, to the Jews. So listeners to the story, yes, they were sympathetic to the priest and the Levite. But hearing that the savior of the story was a Samaritan, they would have been furious. How could a Samaritan be a hero of the story? Could I suggest that the Lord is saying something here, right? The Samaritan comes along and he takes pity on the Jew, right? The Jew that, that is supposed to hate and despise him. He takes pity on the Jew and he tends to his wounds despite the racial barriers. He has compassion. He pours oil and wine. And ironically, oil and wine were two elements that were used for temple worship. So he uses oil that was supposed to be used for anointing. He uses wine that was supposed to be an offering to the Lord, and he uses that to heal this man. And then he doesn't stop there. He, he pays a day's wages, goes to an innkeeper and says, take care of him. I promise to return and settle the balance later. What is the Lord saying here? What is the Lord saying through this parable? Perhaps he is saying that the Lord is more honored and pleased when we extend ourselves to loving people, especially out of these walls. Maybe he's more pleased with that than our demonstrations of worship and ritual inside these walls. Is God more pleased with our efforts to help the poor and the needy and the suffering and the lonely our efforts to love those people that are different than us, those that are strangers, maybe even those that despise us, is God more pleased with this sort of worship 
than us sitting inside here side by side, praising him through song. Participating in religious ceremony. Let me read from Isaiah 58. This is a passage where God is admonishing, he's rebuking his people for participating in religious ceremony of worship and then neglecting to rise up and truly be the people of God. So here, the the religious ceremony in question is their fasting, their activity of fasting, which was commanded to them back then, to fast as honor to the Lord. So I'll be reading from the NLT version. It's a little bit easier to absorb. Okay? This is 58. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. We have fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. (laughs) Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call the Lord, when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be bright as noon and the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. And I love this part. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. A well-watered garden and an ever-flowing spring. This is the word of the Lord. 
Trinity Church, is our worship true or is it false? Are we, and I'm asking myself as well here, are we just paying lip service when we sing these songs to the Lord or do we follow through? Is coming to church on Sundays just the beginning of worshiping him for the rest of the week? Do we worship him through deed and action? You know, please hear me. I'm not saying that we should not gather together as a church family and worship the Lord. It is good. We are told to devote ourselves to biblical teaching and to fellowship and to eating and praying together. But then, do we walk out in obedience? Do we walk out in obedience and speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice? Do we do this? Do we believe that whatever we do to the least of these, we are doing to Jesus? Do we believe this? Do we remember to show hospitality to strangers for in doing so we may have entertained angels without knowing Do we know that the religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress? Are we a people that do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God? Trinity Church, is our worship true? So after he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus asks the experts of the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man? I find this question profoundly deep. You know, the the lawyer starts with the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers with the question, who proved to be a neighbor? Now, why is this so profound? The root word for the word neighbor is nigh, meaning near. Neighbor essentially means to draw near. So to become someone's neighbor means to draw near to them, to get close. So what Jesus is saying, that anyone and everyone could or actually should be your neighbor. It's your choice. You take the initiative of becoming someone else's neighbor. You are not looking around saying, who's my neighbor? You take the initiative to be a neighbor. It reminds me of our dear friend, Mr. Fred Rogers. How many of you grew up watching? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Mr. Rogers was a faithful Presbyterian minister who prayed for his friends and family for hours every morning. Mr. Rogers was a neighbor to 13.6 million kids every day. And when those kids grew up and were too old to watch his show, then they were replaced by 13.76 more kids that became, 13.76 million more kids that became his neighbor every day. And can you believe that he answered every one of his fan mail personally? He 
was good at being, he was so good at being a neighbor that he actually made a thief think twice. So he has this old Impala, this car that he drove around for many years, and it was stolen off the street. So he called it in to the cops, and newspapers, the media, the radio, they all got wind of the story and, you know, posted it up. 48 hours, less than 48 hours, the car was returned in the exact same spot <laughs> with a note that said, if we had known this was your car, we would not have stolen it. <laughs> he was that kind of neighbor. What would happen? What would happen to our country? What would happen to our community if Christians intentionally made people their neighbor? What would happen if our church truly took the call of being God's people and we chose and took the initiative of becoming a neighbor, especially to the most vulnerable, the lost, what would happen to our cities if we did that? And I think because of this campaign, the six-week campaign, we've kind of got a taste of it already. We've gotten a glimpse. Because our community groups, we are moving out, and we are a force to be reckoned with, let me tell you. I have never been so proud as I have been these last couple of weeks of Trinity Church. My, I hope it's a righteous pride, but my heart swells with love and thanksgiving for you. Three of our groups went to visit three different police stations to bring the food and pray over them. Here's the three groups. One family went to a local school, brought breakfast for all the teachers. Another group went to a forum at the Immigration Resource Center in San Gabriel Valley to learn more about issues facing immigrants. One group went to a Langley Senior Center in Monterey Park and attended, I'm not sure what it is, the FAA Southern California Metroplex Open Forum and met some city council members there. Maybe you can tell me afterwards what that is about. Our youth went to downtown Disney and they ran into another group of kids that had special needs and they took the initiative at that spot to, for each child, each of our youth to go and buy something from the Disney store for each of their kids. Isn't that beautiful? One couple, Adeyi and Victor, they traveled to Mexico last weekend to put up electricity in an orphanage. Another group attended the Montebello Traffic Commissioner's meeting and complained about the accidents that were happening on our streets, but made connections with the Traffic Commissioner and a member of the Lions Club there. Another group met together, and they made, they made Valentine cards for kids with parents that are in prison. You know, a project with an organization called Angel Tree that we support. There was a group that went to the Monterey Park City Council, and it was a special meeting to discuss whether or not Monterey Park should become a sanctuary city. And this is them sitting there eating Marie Callender's pie afterwards and debriefing the, the experience. A group hosted a neighborhood watch meeting. Kids from our preschool in the Monterey Park uh, campus and their families, there's about 70 of them. This is only one-third of them, the, the people in this, in this picture. They went to a local fire station to show their support, spent time bonding with one another at a picnic afterwards. Church members, oh, what happened? Hmm. 
I'm sorry, we, there's a picture that didn't make it up there. But there's a church, church members that live on Nadula Street here in Hacienda Heights. There's three families. They got together and had a block party. 45 people showed up. And they say that their biggest win was that these 45 people, they expressed a desire for a deeper sense of community and to get to know each other better. Isn't that awesome? Um, and here's the South group. Uh, they met at a local park by Lee and Gail's house, and they set up a table with free drinks and snacks and Panera bagels and passed them, oh, and doggy treats, they were such a hit, you know, and passed them out to people. They had these long, drawn-out conversations with people in the neighborhood. You know, we even got to pray for some of them. All of this in just two weeks. Praise God. It's a beautiful thing. Trinity Church, you are being the hands and feet of Jesus. Two weeks in, and all these things happen. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and to love your neighbors as yourself. You know, the expert of the law he knew how difficult it was to love God. And after, with all that, holy and unconditionally, every fiber of your being, and after the parable, I think he also learned how hard it was to love your neighbors. It wasn't people eating his matzo ball soup at the synagogue. It was his enemies, people that despised him, people that were different than him. You know, I feel for the expert, I really do, because you know what? It's easy. Like our church, we went to Skid Row last Christmas and we fed about 900 people there. It was easy to feed, you know, hand out a plate. And, and really, there, I, I actually find it, especially when we're in a big group, I find it easy to pray for people, for strangers as well. It's easy, but I have to ask myself, do I love them? Do I sincerely love them? them, these police officers, these council members, these strangers, the homeless, do I truly, sincerely love them? So let me share with you something really exciting that I've been learning from the Lord lately. And, I, and I've experienced this before, but it's never been as clear to me as it is now. We might not start off loving these people. You know, the homeless or or the police at the police station, or firefighters. We might not start loving them. But when we walk out in obedience, and we find ourselves praying for them, and getting to know them, God starts that love. It's like when you are in action, God starts that love. It is supernatural, I am telling you. I've heard it happen to other people as well. I've heard, I've heard this. And I've invited a couple of people today to share a short testimony. And it has to be short. <laughs> we have like four people speaking today. Um, a short testimony of some of their experiences last couple of weeks. So first of all, we have Janelle Yao, who is one of um, my special friends and a neighbor of mine. Um, She's one of the worship leaders at Monterey Park Campus, so she's here visiting just to share her story with us. Uh, is, this is the second year where she's serving, second or third? 
women's ministry team. Third year, third year serving on the women's ministry team, and she's a community group leader, right? So Janelle is going to share one of her experiences in going to a local police station. Hi, everyone. It's nice to be here. Um, as Christine said, my name is Janelle, and I'm a um, community group leader for like the south of Monterey Park area. So a lot of us live in Montebello, and um, I talked to the community relations officer at the Montebello PD, and um, I was asking, can we do something to bless you? Can we come and drop off something for the police officers? And she was asking, oh, well, do you actually want to meet that? There's a couple things you can do. You can just drop it off. Um, they'll be on duty, and they'll get it later, or you can actually meet them. And I was like, well, it'd be really nice if we could actually meet them. And she said, well, their, their shift starts at either 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. And I was like, well, probably 6 p.m. would work for more people. So we went to... Two Sundays ago, um, and I was thinking about like, well, what can we do? And um, I think police officers have a special place in my heart because my my husband is a police officer as well. And I was asking him like, oh, what should we bring them? Should we bring them dinner? And he was like, no, actually, like I think it'd be better if we just made care packages. And so we got together and got some snacks and drinks. Um, we packaged it all together, and then. Um, we went over. Um, we went over to the Montebello Police Department to meet the officers. And beforehand, I would ask my husband, like, "Oh, like, could we like pray for the officers?" And he was like, "No, I really wouldn't do that. Like, this is the briefing time. They have a lot of things to do. They're really busy. They need to go out to duty and blah blah blah." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, all right." And so we 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 go there and we. Um, took them by surprise. I don't think they knew we were coming. And so we went into their briefing room. And they're like, we, there's like a group of 10 of us. They're like, oh, hello. Um, so we got to meet them and we dropped off the care packages. And um, I don't know, just like something in my heart was like, I just want to pray for these officers. And so I was like, is it okay if we just say a quick prayer? And then they were like, uh, sure. And like, when I started praying, like, my heart just like broke. Like, I wasn't planning to get emotional again, but um, I feel like my heart just broke for these officers, and I feel like I could feel God's heart for each one of them, and when I was praying to just pray for, like, protection of their loved ones and themselves, but not only believing it for them, but also for my husband, who I take for granted that comes home every day. Um, so... So yeah, I feel like God really taught me, like, sometimes I think we have the intention of blessing others, but but in return, God blesses us so much more, and I realized that he actually wanted to do something in me and through me to change my heart, to break my heart. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just wanted to share with you, um, I hope that encourages you to just take a risk, because I feel like God sees that, God knows, and he will bless you abundantly through it. And I'd like to come up is Victor. You know, most of us know Victor and Araya. 
Uh, Victor helps with like a Sunday school hour. He um, volunteers his time around the campus many, many hours helping us with the electricity, lighting up the cross and the two banners that are out there. Um, and so, oh, and he just has mad electricity skills, this man. So Victor is going to be sharing about his recent trip to Mexico where he helped set up electricity for an orphanage. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, like again, it's hard for me to, to talk about this. First of all, because uh, I feel like a, it's difficult because I, my, I, my primary uh, language is, is uh, Spanish. But uh, we, we traveled to uh, Ensenada with a big group of people on, on, on Christmas. Kind of like a crazy idea to go over there. And uh, I remember that in, on 25th, uh, we went to the orphanage to spend people, uh, time with, with the kids. And then we learned that before these people moved to the facility, uh, some bad people stole the wires. So they had no power to, to light the facility. So they were running a small, um, a small uh, generator but uh, we got involved in the situation, and, and we promised to go back and do the job uh, around the world for them. And then, uh, well, <laughs> we're supposed to be there for the f by the first week of January, but something happened, and we postponed for, for a second time. But uh, I felt bad because I was calling this guy, uh, uh, Felipe, who is one of the helping the facility, and I said, we want to go this week. And then something happened, I need to call him, you know, it's going to be postponed. So it happened twice. So about the third time, I say, no matter what happened, I'm going to go this time. So uh, we were supposed to, I was supposed to travel with other three guys, but they couldn't make it for, they had their, their powerful reasons. They couldn't, they couldn't go with me. So I remember that Jonathan phone called me on Thursday. And he said, you're going to go alone. Are you sure you want to go alone? Yes. I'm going to go. So you know how to go, see, but, but I want to go. So uh, I, on Friday, uh, I was kind of tired. Uh, I was talking to my, my wife. You know, she was concerned because I was tired. I was, I was about to, to travel at night, but she said, I want to go with you. I, I want to go with you. So we uh, woke up. Uh, on Saturday, about 2 a.m. in the morning, and then we traveled to the border. <laughs> when we go to the border, uh, we realized that uh, uh, the paperwork of the car, they were outdated. So the name plate was outdated since uh, ja uh, June 2016. So uh, the people, the Mexican people, that was controlling, he said, you know, you have problems, you, you cannot go, you cannot go ahead, because, you know, your paperwork is outdated. So, we, I, I talked to the lady and say, you know, we are here because I want to serve the community. So we, we spent our Christmas in Ensenada, and we learned that these people was, the, the words that are going to be to, uh, to, to lie in the facility, it was stolen. We're here because we want to do something for them. And then she's, she was like, kind of like a move, and she said, you know, go to the x-ray area. Uh, and then another lady showed up and asked for the papers again, and she was kind of tough at the beginning. So, you know, you probably need to go back to LA. 
And then I, I keep on talking to her, you know, say, you know, we want to help these people. Let us go through. And she was moved, and she allowed us to go to, go to, to Ensenada, uh, when somebody, uh, Don, was uh, waiting for us to take us to the, to the orphanage. Uh, we went to the place, and we started working very early. We didn't stop. We get to the place and start uh, working. Uh, God supplied two helpers to do the job. So we, uh, when we finished about seven at night, so that people was happy, very happy, very excited. So like my sister shared, so I was touched for what they say, the gratitude that they show. So uh, it's, it's, it's hard when you see people, you know, appreciating what you do. So I'm an electrician, like, like, like uh, uh, Christine said. So I learned this skill through the years. And I asked myself, why not? Why not to do it? So we are doing this in obedience to the Lord. He, he commands us. He didn't ask us for a favor. He commands us to go and share the Lord with other people. And that's what, what we're doing. And this is not a recognition for, for my wife that she also shared the gospel with, with, the, with the kids, with the teenagers, and with the ladies, that this is not about us. It is not, we don't want any recognition. We do it for the Lord, to show others that the, the Lord really cares about, about them. Thank you. So when we step out in faith, and choose to serve our community. God, he supernaturally grows our love for the people we are serving. And as you serve people more, you, you learn to love God more. And as you love God more, you learn to love people more. It's this interconnectedness. And so my question is, who in your community have you learned to love? So this week's campaign, um, the theme is, Who's Who in Your City? Um, already, many of you have gone out and you've met a lot of people in your community. Um, it's been crazy, but this week, let me tell you about the people that I've met, just from this week. I met Beth Steckler, the Deputy Director at Move LA, which is a nonprofit organization educating people about um, the Proposition Measure H, which increases the funds for homelessness. I've talked to Lauren Yokomijo a field director working under Janice Hahn, who is a member of LA's County, LA County's Board of Supervisors and whose jurisdiction is, you know, with, uh, under Roland, uh, sorry, Roland Heights, includes Roland Heights. I interviewed Maria Cabildo, who's the director of Homeless Initiatives and she's presently running for Congress. I rubbed shoulders with Teresa Real Sebastian, the Vice Mayor of Monterey Park. I talked with Nancy Arcara, the editor of The Citizen's Voice, and Christopher Yee, a journalist with Pasadena Star News. It's just crazy, just, just being out in, the, out in the community. I've talked with Julie Mitchell, the superintendent of Roland Heights Unified School District, and she is planning to come speak here uh, in the next month or so. So because of this campaign, I am meeting leaders of our community. And I've been learning how important it actually is to get to know our leaders because of their influence in our communities, because they make decisions, really important decisions that affect the people in our community. 
right? It is so important. And I've been learning that they're not just a bunch of politicians that are in it for themselves or, or for the power and prestige of, you know. I've been finding that they have a real heart for the people in the community. Talking to Janice Cabildo, who's, who's running for Congress, I asked her, how can we pray for you? And she, her voice started shaking and trembling. And she's saying, Christine, it is so hard working with people that are homeless. It is so hard because we see very few solutions, very few affordable housing compared to the number of families, children that are homeless. So I'd like to introduce you to someone I, someone else I recently met. Her name is Christina Prostolupo. And she's been with the county and local government for about 17 years, uh, mostly with um, Housing Authority, which helps families find housing. And her team has been so passionate and so creative in finding solutions for homelessness that they actually got an award last year um, by the National Association of Housing and Redevelopment at, the, at their conference. So I've asked her to come and share a little bit about what she does and why she does it and, and um, how we as a church, how can we partner with civil leaders in initiatives like homelessness? So let's welcome Christina Lupo. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by your service today and, and coming here. Um, this is a great church, a great community, and um, I'm just really happy to see all the things that you guys have done in this community. My, my name is Christina. I work for the Housing Authority of the County of Los Angeles. Um, we serve um, families uh, of low income um, and we are the second largest housing authority of, uh, in Southern California, and we are funded through the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development, otherwise known as HUD. Um, we provide rental services um, assistance to eligible homeless veterans and families, the mentally ill, low-income families, and seniors. The Section 8 program assists approximately 23,000 individuals and families with the help of our partnerships with 13,000 owners across LA County. Mm. But, but, but with all of our efforts, all of our efforts over the years, we're, we're seeing that we see more and more homeless and funding is not available. In the last year, we've had, we did the homeless count in 2006 in L.A. County, and there are over 43,000 individuals or families who are unhoused, either on the streets, in shelters, living in their cars, couch surfing with their families. It's been difficult. The last year, February 2016, uh, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors approved a landmark homeless initiative plan that represents the most comprehensive effort ever undertaken in the county to combat homelessness. 
The homeless initiative recognizes that subsidized housing is a critical in combating and preventing homelessness by enabling thousands of families and individuals to afford safe and stable housing. Historically, as I mentioned, federal government has paid for subsidy housing, but over time, that funding has decreased and homeless need has increased. So due to this funding gap, there has been increased focus on potential local government like the Board of Supervisors to supplement federal funding housing. So one of our roles is the County of LA is to house and serve veterans. Uh, I oversaw the, the veteran program for about four years and we've housed over 1,600 veterans with the help of the VA. We've done a lot of work over the last uh, four years. It's been difficult. Now we want to house more homeless families. And homelessness, as you know, it's been difficult. Ten years ago, we had a housing crisis. A lot of people lost their homes, lost their jobs. They couldn't make it. Divorce may be a cause of homelessness, losing their job, getting into a car accident. I mean, you could get into a car accident and not have transportation. We live check by check. You lose your car, you can't get your kids to school, you're running late to work, can't pay rent. You're done. Three months, you could be out in the streets living with families, making it day by day, month by month. So LA County Housing Authority has been working effortlessly to see what we could do. We have 13,000 landlords out there participating, housing at least two families in their units. So what we're doing is we're really trying to get landlords to participate, to give our families a chance so with the funding that we received through the Board of Supervisors, we're, we have been asking loaners, owners to participate. And if they participate, we're giving them an incentive to hold the unit for one month, monetary incentive. And we're also helping out by paying security deposits for these families, paying application fees, and we're also providing supportive services to landlords and tenants to retain families and keep them housed. So I'm here today to ask if you own property, rental property, and you want to participate with us, I'd be more than happy to partner with you. And if you don't own house, housing, rentals, and then you do know someone that does, have them call me. We cover Roland Heights. And in this area of Roland Heights, and the 4th District, there's about 3,400 homeless families or individuals living in their cars, couch surfing with their families, as I mentioned. So we really need to give them an opportunity. We want to give our families a chance. We are not only asking landlords to participate in providing that incentive, we're also matching those voucher holders who need housing to the landlords. We're driving them now. We're picking these families up and we're driving them to see these units. 
So you guys have done a lot in your community. I would ask you to spread the word. I have brought pamphlets today. Um, I'm really happy what I do. I mean, uh, brought my family member here today, and she knows that I work a lot. I really, really uh, love what I do, and I really, like you, want to give back to my community. Um, so if, if you guys are interested, please call me. Even if you don't have property, call me anyway um, and want to get involved in help, um, helping homeless families. And uh, we, there's 39 shelters surrounding Roland Heights that you guys can get involved in. Also, if you guys want to get involved with us, we take families out. We can always use water. You guys, if you want to make kits for, for families who are moving into their, their new homes, please call me. Help me out. Thank you so much. You guys are a wonderful group of family. Thank you so much. I work for LA County. That's the city logo. <laughs> I was desperate, but for that's a okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, LA City is the number one housing authority. We're the number two, but we have the best customer service. And I guarantee you, we really care about what we do. We really care about our families. I mean, we go all out. For, my team goes all out. They drive them all day looking for places. We tell the landlords, we are going to help you. I'll, I'm going to give you $1,500 to rent to this family, plus I'm going to pay for application fee, plus we're going to pay for security deposit, plus we're going to be there when, when, the la when the tenant or the landlord needs help. I mean, we are really going above and beyond. So thank you. Thank you very much. We have a last guest, um, and she is Lauren Yokomizo. She was not able to come, and so she called this morning. Guess what? My schedule opened up, and so she's going to come and especially talk about her involvement uh, in, uh, with Janice Hahn, our supervisor, um, and, um, and what she does, and just kind of introduce us to her boss. And so, Lauren, would you come up and share with us? I don't have a slide for you. <laughs> Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here on behalf of LA County Supervisor Janice Hahn, who represents you on the LA County Board of Supervisors if you live in the 4th District, which covers, um, it, she represents about 2 million people countywide, so uh, the 4th District is spans from the South Bay, Beach Cities, Long Beach, all the way out here to the San Gabriel Valley. And I'm here on her behalf to say hello and to, to greet you and, and meet you um, because you are, you are part of, you are the community and uh, we're, we're here for you. So I'm here to um, just tell you thank you on behalf of the supervisor and also would like to, to say thank you to, to Christine, to, to Pastor Hung for reaching out to us. It was she she called our office this week and and wanted to connect with her local government elected officials and it was just uh, she wanted to know how uh, the church can serve the community and that was just a wonderful call to receive. So we just want to thank her for that 
and a little bit more about Supervisor Han. She's a former congresswoman, and she took office on uh, December 5th, so she hasn't been in office for very long, but in the two months that she has been in office, she's gotten to work on issues related to immigration, environmental justice, and homelessness is her top priority. So uh, we, we uh, wanted to um, just let you know how you might be able to, to um, serve the community and would encourage you to get involved with, um, with partnering in, in the community to help the homeless and uh, as Christina mentioned, to, um, to spread the word. So we, we want to, we're here to show our support of you and all of these wonderful things that you're doing out in the community. And I'm already kind of thinking of some ways that we might be able to continue to, to work with you. And um, you know, prayers are appreciated. So we just really uh, want to thank you so much for, um, again, all that you're doing and uh, would really encourage you to continue to, um, to get involved in, in the community. So uh, thank you so much. Oh, and you know, lastly, I, I did want to share how you can contact us in our role. I'm, I'm in the supervisor's Roland Heights field office, which covers Roland Heights, uh, Hacienda Heights, and, and two cities. So if you need anything, if there is a problem that you have in the community, if uh, you have any concerns about the community, please feel free. Uh, that's what our office is here for. Please feel free to reach out to us. And uh, you can contact me. I'm the supervisor's field, field deputy in that office. And we have one other staff member named Nick who uh, will, will, were in that office. So you can contact us. My phone number is, I'm sorry, we don't have business cards because uh, we are uh, still new. But our phone number is 909-594-6561. And my email is l. Y-O-K-O-M-I-Z-O at L-A-C-B-O-S dot org. So please feel free to reach out if you need anything. Thank you. So I think one of the ways that we can support our, our city officials um, is to pray for them. So I thought having them here, Christina, if you can come up here as well, uh, it's just a great opportunity for us to support them through prayer. So if any of you have a heart for these two women, the office that they hold, um, and that you want to pray for their success and wisdom for what they do, you can come up. We're just going to pray for them. Don't be shy. Can we like put our hand on you? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have a bubble and I didn't want to. <laughs> so if you can just maybe come over here a little more and so if you are sitting and you just want to extend a hand, that is fine too. So let's pray for our city officials, Lauren and Christina. Let's just pray out loud together and then I will close. Father God.
Father God, we just lift up Lauren and Christina to you, Lord. We thank you for their hearts. We thank you for their commitment that they've dedicated their lives, Lord. They've dedicated through their careers, Lord, to serve people and, and really to serve the most vulnerable people in their communities, Lord. God, I pray that you increase a love in them for the people in their communities, Lord. I pray for the spirit of wisdom to be upon them as they make decisions on behalf of our cities and our unincorporated communities, Lord. I pray that you bless the relationships in their lives, Lord, their family and their friends, Father. I pray that they may know personally that you are for them that you love them, not for what they do, but just because of who they are, Lord. God, I pray that you walk before them as they serve their cities, as they play their roles in their office, Father God. Lord, give them, Lord, the sustenance, the energy that they need. And bless every part of their lives, Lord, not just their work, Father God. We thank you for both of these people. We thank you for Angelica that came to um, support Christina, Lord, and we just uh, we just thank you for their lives and their hearts. Just pray for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So the first Sunday of the month, our church participates in communion. The first Sunday of the month, our church participates in communion. And communion is something that we practice using the cup, bread to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And as we eat from the table of the Lord, as we have communion together, it's a different sense of the word community. Because it's not a community that's bonded between love for one another. It's a community that we feel in the name of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. It is him that gives us the spirit of unity. So as we take the cup and the bread, I would like to read a passage. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. So do this to remember me as often as you drink. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again.